diary my ongoing show we've got ward a doof media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss ward while those return to the world of parahumans is going great everyone loves me matt freeman but i'm worried about my co-host scott daly he's clearly struggling with the current movement of the story and i can't afford to lose him now things seem to be going well with his relationship with his wife almost too well I'd have to make some smart moves here, push him toward the podcast and away from his other life, perhaps introduce the idea of a new show, give him that lost show he's been dying to do for the last year. I'll need to be smart about this because if Matt, uh huh, mm hmm, Matt, it's time to start the show. What are you doing? Oh, sorry. Uh, go ahead. Okay. This is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wild Bo's world of horny capes, chicken nuggets, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, Arc 13 Black continues with chapters 13.3 and 13.4. Victoria confronts Jessica Yamada, who reveals that everyone's been reading her diary, and they're not happy about it. But Victoria doesn't have a diary. Or does she? Matt, what did you think of these two chapters? These were fantastic. Um, so far, I've just really been enjoying this arc. I'm, I'm loving the the direction, the the um, almost the genre shift into kind of a mystery that we're taking. Uh, it's very uh, intense. Um, um, uh, I, I was anxious for the first one of these two chapters, and I was just like excited and and into the character stuff for the for the second of them and and they're gonna be really fun to talk about yeah i completely agree um this is gonna be a lot of fun i've been looking forward to this conversation ever since i read the chapters um because there's so much going on here and like i I really want to dive into especially with the second chapter i want to dive into um just how difficult wild bow made this for himself and yet still managed to pull it off because I I really think the degree of difficulty with this entire subplot is so high. And the fact that it's working on me as well as it is, is I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving it so much. So I think it's gonna be a good show. I can't wait to talk about it and let's just, let's just do it. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to get to that part. Uh, All right. So first of all, uh, March's madness, the, the winner of the contest running all these weeks will be announced at the end of the show today. Um, and don't, yeah, don't skip ahead. That's cheating. That's, yeah. No, you, you're, you're not allowed to know until we get there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and one more announcement. Um, we're going to be starting up the, uh, our quarterly fan art contest again. We're going to start it up next week. Uh, next Wednesday is going to be the official kickoff of the contest. Um, the reason we're telling you guys this right now is because we want some theme ideas. So I was sitting down trying to come up with some ideas for, for this quarter's theme. Um, and I was like, well, why don't I kick this out to the audience and see what other people come up with? So, um, if you want to send us a, a direct message on Twitter or just tweet at us, um, you can send us an email at, uh, gotwormpod at gmail.com. 
if you're on the discord, you can just message us on the discord. Just let us know what you think would be a good overall theme for the next fan art contest. Um, we try to keep these as like vague as possible to like allow many interpretations and, and whatever people want to do, but we like to have some sort of theme on yeah. it. So let us know. Uh, we'll pick the one we like the most and then, uh, and then that'll start up next week and it'll run for about a month and then we'll get to award some amazing fan art. Yeah. I'm remembering the theme that was uh, Jessica Yamada saves the world and yeah. Oops. Yeah. Feeling, feeling pretty, <laughs> uh, pretty upset, pretty upset at her right now. So she tried, she tried to save the world. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, let's address that. Let's address that right now. All right. So we begin 13.3. And so to begin with, Wild Bow is going to be toying with our expectations in both of these chapters this week in very different ways. So in this chapter, as it starts out, we're not told who's speaking. And I, for one, was assuming that Jessica was speaking because the last chapter ended with Victoria thinking, I did something wrong. I failed her. She wants to see the damage before she talks to me. And then, and then Jessica says, after, all right. And so when the speaker in the next chapter kind of begins speaking without being named, you know, we have Victoria saying, yeah, an explanation would be really good right now. And then the other party says, okay, you're a fucky sort of monster in Terry's, right? <laughs> you're just like, whoa. Jessica. Yeah. How could you? Because in that context, that's like a horrible, horrible thing to say. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a horrible thing to say even after we learn who's the person saying it. They just have a very complicated reasoning for why they're saying it. Right, and, and they don't um, know that Victoria has this complicated, you know, reason why that would be especially offensive to her. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree that this opening is fantastic and it is absolutely meant to set you up. It is designed this way. I mean, the first line of the new chapter is I can explain it all if you're interested, right? That's the first line we get. We go directly from Jessica Yamada saying, yeah, I'll talk to you to I can explain it all. And you're like, oh, thank God. Yeah, <laughs> thank God. Uh, finally, we're going to know it's been it's been however many days and we're finally going to know what the hell is going on with Jessica. And it is very clear here that it is trying to trick us. It wants us to think this is Jessica saying this. It wants that shock value. And I mean, the fun thing for me is to think about why. Why is it? Why is Wildbo choosing to trick us here? Is he just tricking us because he thinks it's funny to manipulate his poor readers? Yes. <laughs> yes, he, he does. Um, but but I do think it's more than that. Right. I think. I think there is this emotional core at the center of this chapter, and it's this 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 off kilter, uneasy feeling um, that our main character is feeling. Victoria doesn't know what's going on with Jessica. And as we get into the conversation with Jessica, that confusion only skyrockets. Wildbow is using this trickery at the start of the chapter to establish that tone of confusion and doubt. He's establishing this off kilter feeling. We're confused. We're shocked. We're thrown off our game. We don't know what's going on. We presented with this conversation that appears to be about one thing, and it's the thing we want to hear about. But that's just deflection. It's trickery, but it's trickery with purpose. And it's great. Yeah. I think that consistently one thing that I'll say, certainly for this chapter, probably the next one too, is that, you know, the mechanism by which he's doing this to us is that he's doing these things to Victoria in, in a sense. He's like Victoria's reaction right. to Solar Stare saying this is pretty much what our reaction is, which is just like, 
several seconds of confused blinking as we as we process and try right. to understand what 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 like like yeah. multiple gear shifts of like what the hell is going on um and and, he, and this happens multiple times actually where at least for me um victoria was mirroring my inner reaction or perhaps i was mirroring hers because like yeah. you're you're confused and victoria is confused also and it, it yeah. works really well in terms of selling that confusion yeah i mean because that's the main goal right you want your reader to be emotionally with your protagonist yeah. especially in this moment this this terrible terrible moment you want her you want it you want your readers to be there and that this is one of the ways one of the tools in which our author uh, employs to get you there mm-hmm. So eventually the text clarifies that it is Solar Stare speaking. Uh, we don't actually really know her, but we get kind of introduced to her. And she goes on to outline her worldview about the many kinds of monsters, the monsters you want to fuck up, fuck with, fuck, and cock block. <laughs> I want to spend some time on this, Matt, because I think this is actually like pretty important mm-hmm. to everything that's going on in these two chapters. Because Solar Stare is outlining a belief system that is going to matter, I think, in the ongoing conflict and the ongoing mystery. Um, because she she basically outlines her her belief system here. You get too into this. You lose your ordinary life by accident or by a hundred small steps, and it all becomes disordered. Distorted. Without enough other things going on, you don't have the ability to keep everything straight. So you end up becoming something fucky, something that gets fucked up, fucked with, fucked or frustrated, um, which is much better than cockpucked. Yeah. Yeah, because it has an F. It's alliteration. Yeah. And and the thing I like about this is it, it's basically this idea that um, if you're a cape and you focus too much on that cape life, uh, you lose a part of yourself. And and in in solar stare parlance, you become a sort of monster, a fucky sort of monster, mm-hmm. right? And it, you're, it's different. Her definition of monster is different than a lot of our characters have been in the past. Um, but it is, it is still, you know, a monster. It is monsters that you have to deal with in different ways. Some are good, some are bad, but basically a monster. And um, I, I love this because this is kind of setting us up for a lot of what Jessica's allegations are going to be against Victoria, right? The central idea that you have been focusing so much on the Cape stuff that, uh, that you have abandoned everything else. And it's of course very supported by the diary in which she's read, but we're kind of like cluing ourselves into this, this whole line of thinking. And that repeats multiple times throughout these chapters. Yeah. Um, there's another very interesting thing that's going on with solar stair conversation, which is that, I I have a hard like the first time I read it I had a hard time paying attention to it, and I think that I think that that's <laughs> intentional for the exact reason that Victoria is trying to distract herself from the thing that she really wants to to find out, which is also the thing that we really want to find out. We want to know what's going on with Jessica. Yeah, and so like I think it's pretty great because I think that Wildbo is actually communicating some very important stuff about uh, what's going on in the story right now. And uh, we're not, we, 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 the reader, are predisposed to just kind of skim over it. Um, I, yeah. I, mean, I love this line where uh, Vista is sort of challenging her on why she's speaking this way. And, and Solar State replies, everything's a fucking metaphor. And, and I feel <laughs> yeah. like, the, like, I feel like this is going to be one of those lines where we come back at the end of the story or at the end of the arc and we're like, aha, see, it was right there all along. Solar Stare explained it all to us. Right. Um, yeah. But as it is, we're like, 
We're like, get to the Jessica Yamada conversation. Right. And the cool thing about that is Victoria is kind of doing the same thing, right? I mean, like, like this is this is a, a basically the the thing that Solar Stare is presenting our character with is this idea that if you get too into your cape shit and lose all the other shit, that's actually that turns you into a monster. She's using the word monster here. And Victoria is kind of so distracted. She doesn't really challenge her on it right Mm -hmm. like she's not like she's not explicitly saying i agree with you but she's also not explicitly saying no i think you're wrong here's what i believe and i'm gonna fight you on it because she's not really paying attention she's only kind of paying attention she keeps as you said keeps glancing back to the room she keeps looking back where the rest of her team is meeting with with jessica and i i love that because like there's something that i think probably if victoria was focused on the conversation she would have some words about this this philosophy um i don't think she would agree with it 100 percent. but we don't see that here because she's not really engaged in the conversation yeah she's just kind of nodding along saying yeah right right and and the and yeah. the thing is i think she's parsing i mean i think she's parsing solar stare on the surface level of okay so yeah. surface solar stare is explaining what the bunker is for which is what yeah. which is explicitly what solar stare is doing but subtextually she's outlining like we said her whole worldview about what capes are and yeah if if victoria were engaged she would be she would be pushing back against that but just like the reader, Victoria is not actually fully engaged with what Solar Stare is saying. Yeah, yeah. Solar Stare is a really interesting character, and I think we're going to have many more things to say about her. But the one thing that I wanted to point out right here is this. We've, we've kind of had this eye focus mm-hmm. on in these chapters so far. Um, like back back in the last chapter, we talked about Kenzie's red eyes. Um, and 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 we, we have to remember we're in this chapter. We're in this arc called Black. And Solar Stare has these eyes of luminescent liquid. Mm-hmm. They're like glowing liquid. Um, and and black, we already talked, black is this absence of light. And we have this character whose eyes kind of shine with this liquid and who is literally named after light coming from the sun, mm-hmm. Solar Stare, right? So we have this this character outlining this philosophy saying everything's a fucking metaphor. Like with this this character is sitting here in our story right about this 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 pivot point where Victoria is gonna discover um, some plot against her. And we have a character who is the opposite of black, um, who is talking in, in big, huge metaphors about like the state of being a Cape. And I think that's very targeted kind of imagery, especially when I, 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 I think I didn't fully notice this the first time the mask was described. I think Victoria's mask is like, it has no eyeless. It's eyeless. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a perfect contrast. Like it's just it's not just a black mask. It's a black. Her, her, her eyes are black. Right. Yeah. So we have the luminescent glowing eyes of Solar Stare versus Victoria's completely black non-existent yeah. eyes. Yep. Very foreboding. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So after. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So before we move on, just one more thing. Like I, I want to talk about like just how much I like the writing around this. Cause as we've said, we, we, we've already had these moments where like Victoria's only half paying attention and she keeps looking over to where her friends, her friends are talking to Jessica and she's really conscious of that. But she's like, it's like this very realistic thing where like, I don't know if you've ever had a conversation when you're like really not into it. You're thinking about something else. You're worried about something else, but you like recognize that you should be paying attention. So you like, you like, zone in and out of the conversation in a very specific kind of way. Mm -hmm. And you, 
when you're zoning into the conversation, you pick up on stuff that's most important to you. I mean, that's how like the thing she said, you're a fucky kind of monster is the thing that zoned her into the conversation. Other things that zone her into the conversation is she's she's noticing that Vista, when she's joking around and kind of going back at Solar Stare, the Vista is animated and, and happy and kind of joking around and, and human on some level. And and Victoria smiles. It puts us it puts a smile on my face despite and then she her attention breaks away again and she glances back at the conference room, sees Kenzie, who's up in a chair moving around, gesticulating wildly. Um, and the smile drops. The smile falls from her face. And like, I, I love this because it's, it's it seems like a very real construction of what what your where your attention would go in that kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that is done many times, actually, in these chapters is another time later on where. Yeah, you're like it's it's just such like naturalistic writing. I'm not sure what the right word is exactly, but it's like it conveys like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what that's like. But but it's not because Wildbo's describing it. It's because he's just portraying what it is to be in that situation. Right, right. And that's, I think, sometimes the difficulty with the first person perspective, right, is because in order to write first person perspective, realistically, you kind of have to be willing to let your character like zone out sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, and you and you write that zone out like like I think you sit down to write and you want to be as descriptive as possible. You want your reader to see and notice everything, but you have to limit your gaze to just through the eyes of your your main character. And if she's not fully engaged or she's not fully paying attention, she shouldn't be seeing or hearing or, or noticing these things. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think that's I think that's something that that these books in particular do so, so well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's as much a measure of, of the writer's introspective awareness as their writing skill, I think, because you don't necessarily know that your mind works this way unless you pay a lot of attention to it. Sure. Yeah. I like that. I I like putting it that way. That's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, after insinuating that she's going to dish on Vista's, um, activities, Solar Stare (laughs) then gives the two women some privacy uh, then Vista confides in, uh, confides in Victoria that Solar Stare used to be a major prude and then got brain damaged in a fight. Yeah, and this is where you start to notice some patterns in this arc, right? Because so far we've had three chapters in this arc black, and we've had three instances of people discussing how uh, brains, how personality, how behavior ha- ha- have changed because of events. Um, in the first chapter, Aaron's talking about Lachlan, um, and, and how she's trying to help him be free of brainwashing. And she says this line, she says, it's scary how easy some of these things can hit you. There's no enduring it through willpower. There's no taking cover. There's no delay or chance to fight back. Just there it is. Your mind is changed forever. And then fixing it takes years if it's even fixable. And of course, our buddy Rain immediately uh, says, immediately connects that to Victoria and says, hey, don't say that stuff in front of Victoria, Uh which is great because there's no indication in the chapter that like Victoria was going to make that (laughs) mental connection to herself. But Rain just does it for her Uh and then then says it out loud. Thanks. Good job. Rain. Good job. Very sensitive. But then we move on to 13.2 and we have Colt and we have this character who's acting confused. She's acting not all there. She's acting like she doesn't fully comprehend what's going on. Our characters ask if she's maybe been put on drugs and then they bring up the idea that like other breaker capes, her mind might have been changed or damaged by her trigger, by her power. Um, And then now third chapter, 13.3, we have Solar Stare, this prudish, quiet, 
girl who suffered a brain injury and then suddenly became this completely different per- person. So we have three chapters, three alterations of personality and behavior. Um, now, there's certainly a lot of diary specific speculations we could make based on this trend. Um, but like you and I aren't really in the prediction game anymore, Matt. Like we don't we don't play that game yeah, very much. Not so often. No, um, I think the important part of here as we're analyzing this is is pattern matching, right? You, you when you're looking at a book and you're trying to analyze a book, you look at patterns and you say, oh, look, this is a pattern. This means something. We're going to do something with this. So I bring this up not to conclude and say conclusively, this means X. I just bring this up to say this is this is a clear pattern throughout the first three arcs of the story. Um, it's going this is going to be explored in some way throughout the story and we should be paying attention to it. Yeah. Um, I, I as soon as you drew that out, I, I remember when we were talking about this earlier, it was like, oh, yeah, um, we, we, we can easily nail down points in all, all, all four of these chapters, actually, where something like this is, is being is being indicated. So. Yeah. Um, and we'll get we'll get to the fourth one in a bit. But yeah, that's yeah. it's definitely the fourth one's a big one. Yeah, it's definitely a motif, though. Mm-hmm. So Vista then shares a bit about her personal life. Um, she she mentions a lot of things, but she mentions uh, a high school boyfriend. And I like how this is worded. She says he asked out Missy Byron and we dated for like seven weeks. Um, and so uh, there's there's two things I like about that. Um the the first and most obvious is that she talks about herself in the third person. She says, yeah, he asked out my real name. And then I, I think it's funny because the way she phrases it, we dated for like seven weeks. And it's like, you, you remember exactly how long your high school relationships lasted because, <laughs> because a week, a week in high school time is like a year. So it, it's, it's kind of cute that she's pretending not to remember that it lasted exactly seven weeks. I thought that was just a really great realistic touch of how people that age behave and speak yeah that's a good catch i hadn't considered the the seven weeks thing specifically yeah but i i do i definitely grasped onto her third person use of her name just like you did i think mm-hmm. um yeah. it's almost as if she's othering her non-cape self that's not me that's missy byron um and i think it, it kind of does show how much vista has kind of segmented those parts of her life away from each other this guy didn't ask out vista he asked out missy and this actually got me thinking because i was like i went back through our old show scripts too because i was like how many times have we called vista misty in the last few shows or ever um and it's zero matt (laughs) we never call her missy we never ever ever call her that because Victoria never calls her that, right? She's never Missy to Victoria. She's little V, right? Yeah. She's not little M. Um does does um does Missy Byron even exist anymore? And and this like I think this is important because again, this brings us back to this this opening salvo in Jessica's argument that happens here. Um, that she's too focused on the cape side of the thing, that 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 she's let the human side of the thing go because she's too focused on the cape side of the thing. And now we have this person, Missy, right here, who um, like doesn't even like her name anymore, doesn't doesn't othered her name. She's Vista. Uh, Victoria agrees she's Vista. And I just find that really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I agree. Um, I, I don't don't really have anything to add to that, but. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely goes hand in hand with this idea of, you know, Victoria has her certain mentality about, about how Cape life and, and human life 
should be balanced. Vista here is exhibiting almost almost a worse tendency than what Victoria's had because her identity as Victoria and her idea her identity as Antares are basically the same person. Right. Um she would never refer to herself in the third person. Um she True. She's, she's both of them. Um and then unless she's talking about Glory Girl, unless, which is very specifically I, <laughs> an othered version of herself. I guess she right? talks about herself in the third person all the time, but it's always about past selves yeah that's true good yeah. point good point um and then and then of course solar stare is portraying there so like this is just the chapter of everyone hashing out their little theory of of cape life right right um so then missy asks victoria if she's well you just ruined my thing by using no, missy now man. sorry <laughs> well, i it slipped out <laughs> uh but anyway ask victoria if she's back in the dating game and Victoria's answer is a big shrug in verbal form. Yeah, but I love how she phrases this shrug. She says, baggage aside, um, I don't think anyone could ever compare to Dean. Baggage aside, mm-hmm. Victoria's baggage is like the biggest baggage ever. <laughs> yeah. It's like she's got a huge amount of relationship baggage. But she's like, okay, setting that aside now, um, nothing would ever be as good as it was with Dean. And and there's that pedestal again, right? There's us putting Dean, putting Gallant up on this pedestal. No relationship would ever be as good as this one, as this one I had when I was 17 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, you know who else said that, Matt? It was me after I got dumped by my college girlfriend, and I was wrong. Uh-huh. I was wrong because I was a stupid kid that didn't know any better. Yeah, I mean, everyone everyone thinks that when they're 17, Yep. And uh and I mean it's understandable. And 19 and 21. Right. Yeah. Every, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Um but I you know I've never quite framed it this way, but I wonder like what is what does Dean, you know, symbolize like like thematically? It it is it this idea that this idea that things were were unattainably better in the past and and I I'll never have it as good as it used to be. Um, I mean, cause that's, that's, that is almost a theme w- across her character. She's like, I'll, I'll, ne- things will never be, things will never be the way they used to be. Yeah, that's true. I'm, but it's so weird because it's, it's an inherent contradiction, right? Mm-hmm. It's both things will never be the way it used to be, but I actually realize now that the way I used to be was not great. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe that's a realization she's going to eventually reach with Dean and just be like, yeah, I'm. I'm I'm kind of locked into this one way of viewing it and, and there's other there's other ways of viewing it because she has sort of done that with her heroic self. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm very I'm fascinated to see where this is gonna go because I mean clearly this is a through line in the story. It's been a through line in the story the whole time. Yeah. And I'm just really, really can't wait to see where it goes. Yep, me too. Speaking of Dean. Yeah. So Victoria shares a story about a time when Gallant vented at her and accused her of being the latest person to let him down, just like everybody else. Oh boy, Matt, let's strap in and put on our shit-talking Dean boots <laughs> get to work here. Um, so, I, like, here's the thing about this section. I don't want to conclude on anything because it's just so, there's so much we don't know, right? Uh, but this story made me feel a little bit uncomfortable because there's this this story he tells where he's like, in the middle of a fight with Victoria, he says, Every single person in my life has let me down. My parents, um, teachers, aunts, uncles, everyone I counted on, they all let me down. And now you're doing it too. You're doing it too. You're letting me down too. Um, 
And then her, it describes here is it's very specific language here. I made it up to him, fixed what I've been doing wrong. And later he told me I was the only person that didn't let him down. So I think I did OK. And it's just this like this weird kind of manipulation to me that just seems unsettling with me. Like it's like like we solved this thing, but I, I fixed what I was doing wrong. I did exactly what he wanted me to. Do, and then he and then he switched back and was like, no, actually, you're you're the only one who's never let me down. And it's like, so don't, don't ever do that again. Or we're going to go through the, it's, I don't know. Like yeah. I'm, I'm putting, I'm putting stuff on this. Like I recognize I'm putting emotion on this, but there's just a tinge of it. And I'm not like, I'm not ready to conclude that there's some more, but some more gallant shit we need to deal with. But it, it, it made me feel a little weird and I'm like primed to, to look for the stuff now, you know, definitely like I'm primed to look for maybe there was some, some emotional manipulation going on in this relationship, which would be very fitting because he's literally an emotional manipulator. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's his power. That, that, that was what, um, for, for the first time reading this chapter, I realized that if, if Dean were one of the heartbroken, he would fit right in. He, he has, he has <laughs> like exactly their, their power set. I mean, their, yeah, their, their basic yeah. outline of like, can read emotions can kind of control emotions, but not in a subtle way, the way Heartbreaker can. Right. Like, like, you can probably trust that Dean never tried to control Victoria's emotions directly, but just being no, that degree so. of, yeah. of empath, um, you know, you can never you can never win a, a relationship fight with a, with someone who can read your emotions because they're just going right. to, like, it's it's impossible. And, and, and yeah, like, I, I, I'm not going to go and say he was a bad person and he was manipulative, but, like, how do you not manipulate people when you can read their emotions and they can't read yours? H- how do you even live ethically? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. It's yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But I, I just I think it's very like <laughs> she doesn't even say in this fight that the thing she did was her fault. Mm-hmm. Like she doesn't say it was my fault. Um, I did something wrong. He got upset at me. It's like, no, he accused me of being a person who let him down. Um and then I made it up to him by fix by undoing that. And then like, I just like, he later told me I was the only person that didn't let him down. So it, I don't know. It just feels like, like it feels like you're messing yeah. with someone and I, it just didn't, uh, I didn't like it. Well, I didn't like, and it. also on, on the more meta level, we're getting, we're getting repeated beats of Dean being not quite so perfect. Um, right. Especially interestingly in these conversations with Vista where, where Victoria will bring something up about a time when Vist, when when Dean was a bit of a shit, and not a not a terrible egregious shit, but you know, just a little little bit of a nudge off that pedestal. Right, right, yeah. I mean, I think I think you're absolutely right that we're we're seeming we're seeming to head towards a situation where he's not up on that pedestal anymore, and that doesn't mean he has to be like a shit person. Yeah. Like that's not even well, that's not even what I'm saying. I'm I'm not saying that this thing indicates that actually Dean was a monster. Uh, no. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is he was not the perfect person that Victoria has built him up to be. Um, and I think we're slowly going to be moving towards that. Yeah. Well, I almost think that that's a major function Vista is serving. Because if, if Vista weren't here to have these conversations with, then Victoria would either be having them with random characters, which would be weird, or in her head, which would be less satisfying. Right. Yeah. So we're moving through it with Vista. So anyway, then we get this gut punch. Where kind of like in the middle of this conversation, like like almost non sequitur, she says, except I let him die. 
No, Victoria, Vista said. No, no, no. I frowned. No. Um, and it, first of all, it's just heart-wrenching because, like, yeah. I, it's, it's great how you can, like, visualize and hear the tone of voice that Vista's using there. Like, I don't know. I could anyway. I thought it was great writing. Like, like very few brush brushstrokes saying a lot type of writing. Yeah, no, um, I agree with that, and, for sure. And, and you feel like this is one of those things that has just been eating at Victoria, and she's needed to share this feeling. Because we know that this thought has crossed her mind during one of the many sessions of emotional mind whammies that she's undergone recently. Mm-hmm. But um, it it, was, it kind of flickered across her mind and then didn't, didn't really come back. Whereas uh, here it almost seems like it's just slipping out into this conversation. Like it's just something she really needed to share. Yeah, and I like this idea of framing it as a confession to Vista specifically, Mm -hmm. because as you just said, Vista serves a role in the story of being like one of the people who knows Dean very well and loves Dean almost as much as she does. Right. So, so by admitting to Vista in her mind that it's her fault, the person that they both love so much is dead. Now it feels like to her an important confession, right? It has been mentioned earlier in the story. She has clued us the reader into this this guilt she feels for his death but this is this is saying it and it's not just saying it it's saying it to the other person that loved him and i don't know i I think you're right that there is an importance to that that has not been present in the other moments where she's thought about this yeah i mean she she sort of wants absolution from vista because vista is one of the few people who it would mean anything from Mm -hmm. and i mean even this small you know i frowned like i i read that as like she's She's kind of trying to hold it together in this moment, I I think. Yeah. That was how I took it anyway. So Vista offers a physical and psychological shoulder to lean on. And Victoria thinks about how Vista is this really special true blue hero. Not like, uh, and then insert list of perfectly decent decent kinds of person, which (laughs) would include Victoria, um, but that she's discounting as not being true heroes. And it's funny because she's even like inaccurate in how she includes Vista in the class of perfect true blue heroes because she says like people who were heroes except they'd killed a person. And it's like, yeah, that's I mean, uh, Scott, if you don't think Vista kills people, you're living in a fucking dream world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've literally seen her do it. So, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, I, I, I agree. This is a really interesting way of framing heroes. Right. And it's. It's kind of this way that lines up very much with Victoria's special form of self-deprecation because she doesn't not think she's a hero. She just doesn't see herself as a true blue hero. She sees herself as an except for hero. Mm-hmm. I'm clearly one of the former, Victoria says, but Vista, Vista's the latter. She wouldn't do any of that stuff. And it's like, no, no, she's she's an except for yeah. hero, too. She's, I mean, like, if you're going to if you're going to if you're going to call yourself an except for hero, you have to call Vista one, too, by your by your guidelines. Like like and I think you're, you're right that it, it reflects how she's feeling about herself. She killed a man in the last thing. She hurt her mom. And now in her mind, she's done something to upset her therapist, the person that she's like one of the people she's closest to, one of the people she's revealed the most about herself uh, is not talking to her for some reason. So she doesn't feel like a true blue hero. She feels like an accept for hero. Um, and I, I love that. Yeah. You know, just the, the, the way you just put that sentence together made me realize like Jessica at this point is, is kind of almost more of a mom than, than Carol is. And to have to, to be rejected in this way by Jessica, you know, is yeah. understandably devastating. I mean, the text conveys yeah. that it's devastating, but when you phrase it as, 
yeah, Jessica's kind of a mom figure to her, then it's even worse. Yeah, I agree. So, um, yeah. So as the pair look over some hideous costumes together, Victoria closes up the conversation by asking if there are any people with uh, bio powers who might be able to help Sveta. And Vista says, sure, Orchard is here. And I'm sure that them being brought up again is a meaningless coincidence. Totally meaningless. Not going to pay off in any kind of way. Um, This is important, though, for Victoria, though, because we know what her comfort level with bio tinkers and bio capes are, right? She didn't like them. Yeah. She's uncomfortable with the idea. It triggers too many bad memories for her. She doesn't like it. She doesn't like thinking about it. She doesn't like dealing with it. But once again, we see here she's willing to do this. She's willing to reach out to these people because it's important to her friend. Um, And it doesn't seem like Victoria is trying to help out Sveta for some sort of like transactional, manipulative, like, like team focused way. Mm -hmm. Like it's genuinely because genuinely because she cares about her, um, which which is important considering what's about to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Just just for everyone who may have forgotten Orchard was the group of scary um, fate worse than death oriented bio tinkers yeah. from the eclipse arc um, they were very scary yes yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. so um then so we do get another beat yeah. here matt of vista pointing out that sveta is doing super well actually right she's shocked um that victoria would mention bio tinkers mm-hmm. and then when she learns why she's like but but sveta is doing really she's doing so well does she need this and and of course victoria knows something that vista does not in the form of weld but i think this is again another beat of our story being like is sveta doing as good as she looks on the surface because i don't know right um and I, I i just love pointing out all those moments because like there's been this like sveta has been like a slow burn for the last I don't know, six months real time. <laughs> so like, yeah, totally just banging that drum. And it's not even the only one we're going to get in this chapter. No, no, it's not. So yeah, she finally goes in to the conference room. The The team is done talking to her. So she goes and she joins Jessica and oh man, like all the buildup to this scene oh throughout God. this chapter, her trying to distract herself. And then we're finally here and just the tension is so thick. And and it the scene the dialogue starts out so like false with Jessica yeah. just walking on eggshells and being completely at arm's length like li- literally uh, like across the room from her borderline hostile but in in a very like passive aggressive kind of Jessica Yamada way where she would never actually be directly hostile uh, mm-hmm. and and it's hard to put your finger on too like it's just that every every like word choice is just not quite what Jessica would say if things were okay with her and if this was like a normal conversation it's just this very guarded and uncomfortable tone and it it, yeah. it and it makes you feel exactly the way Victoria's feeling yeah well and what we see almost right away that Jessica is very very good at being a therapist very very good at being emotionally supportive and understanding and attentive Um, she's really bad at this. Mm -hmm. She's bad at masking anger. She's bad at passive aggressive behavior. She's not good at it. She's really bad at it. Um, and you're right. Like this, the, the, this conversation, it's, I love the writing here. It's, it's brutal. It's tense. It's terrible. It's painful. It's all of these things simultaneously. And it's the slow, inevitable build to the moment Victoria gets so angry. She uses her aura. 
And I love how each and every one of Jessica's statements is interjected by the, by this internal dialogue in Victoria's head, right? This, this italicized eternal dialogue. These are the things she wants to say to her, but can't. And then by the time we get to the end of the conversation, she's just, the, those internal statements go away and she's just speaking her mind totally and, and forthright. And I love it. Like the first one in the middle of this, this opening salvo from Jessica, we see this italicized comment. Why did you block my phone? Like that, that's like number one, what I want to know. You're going through all this, this lead up. Why do you block my phone? And I, I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. It's if it's an absolutely beautiful technique. Yeah. And I think I, I, what I want to do though, is I want to focus on, um, what, what Jessica starts with here, how she starts this conversation, because you're right. She's being very cautious. She's being very passive aggressive. Um, and she starts with something that I think by now in the chapter should sound familiar to us because we've been primed for it. She says, I think we've always had our disagreement over the balance of priorities, the balance of civilian against powers with each of us pushing for one or the other. And this is basically a redo of a debate that they've had already. Remember at the very beginning of the story, they had this whole conversation about the the value of, of balance one way or the other and which way people tend. And it's interesting because this is basically a redo of that conversation. But as you said, the writing makes it clear that it's different. There's something wrong. It's the tone. It's, it's so much sharper. It's not like theoretical discussions about the nature of cape dumb versus their human side. It's, um, it's barbed from Jessica's side and it's, that's so wonderful. Yeah, I mean, it almost seems uncharacteristic of her to even use the word pushing to, to describe, right. to describe, a conversation between two people and, and, and to Victoria, I mean, one of the fun things about this chapter is that it reads so differently on the first three through versus the latter ones, because sure, sure. To, to, to Victoria and to us too, like everything Jessica's saying at the start of the conversation is almost a non sequitur. Like, like the next thing, like she starts to push harder and like a, a bit, I think a bit of anger leaks through here where she says, you pushed hard here, didn't you? Jessica asked. And then, and then uh, Victoria says, here and she's clearly just confused right yeah like because it doesn't make any yeah. sense what are you talking right. about right and and then and then uh jessica says with the group never mind i'm getting ahead of myself and like i, I don't know if i necessarily was, was just reading it in the right tone or or not but the, the the point being like she's she's so upset that she's almost eager to 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 fight rather than she, she doesn't want to be having this conversation right like that, that that's the that's the crux of it Right, right. She doesn't want to be having the conversation. She's pissed off and she feels like she can't be angry about the things that she's being angry about. So it's almost as like she's grabbing for the first thing she can find to be angry about. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, um, the, your, your, your balance. Um, and then in a second she goes, oh, yeah, your physiotherapy. You're not doing that. Yeah. What's up with that? And it's just like she's like searching for something to be angry about. And Victoria is just like. No, I am. I, I am doing it. I went to the hospital. I got the thing and I've been doing it at home. And we, the reader, know that because that's how the arc started. The arc started with her doing her physiotherapy. And she said she's been doing this every day for the past three weeks. Yeah. And, and as you mentioned a minute ago, the text continues to have these interstitial thoughts of Victoria where she's she's mentally responding to what Jessica is saying, almost perfectly in line with what we we're thinking or, or at least what I was. She's like, where are you going that's getting ahead of yourself? Is this caring about me or is it accusatory? Is, is it your next step uh, to, to get to the real subject of this conversation? And, and it's just like, yeah, the, the, the confusion and bafflement. But she but Victoria is still trying to be civil and 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 she's still I think she's like hurt and, and somewhat frightened even of what's happening and just bewildered and confused. 
Yeah, um, I agree. And, and I mean, Jessica's doing like, I think the cool thing about this is, as you said, when you read this again, knowing what Jessica knows or what Jessica thinks she knows, this all makes sense on a very like a very real relatable level. But I think even even on that real relatable level, you're still like, Jessica, you kind of bungled this like as a therapist probably should have handled this a little bit better and you didn't you you mean like even knowing what we know from 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 having read it twice it, it still seems like she bungled it is, is that, yeah. yeah i mean yeah i mean I, I agree i was just checking yeah yeah because because like she's not a she's not an operator she's not a she's not a uh a law enforcement officer right she doesn't she doesn't think this way right and and she doesn't want to have to think this way like she she really re- almost like resents the whole the whole you know she said like i hate the code names you know yeah like she she hates everything about this and this is just not her but so, so yeah i mean i think it it makes sense that she bungled it because it's not her wheelhouse at all and she knows it yeah and again she doesn't want to have this conversation and she feels like on some level probably that victoria forcing this conversation is almost more evidence towards her manipulating tendencies like like instead of reading this as as Victoria just saying, I want to know what's going on. She's reading this as Victoria saying, I want to get in and try to force you or manipulate you to being back on my side. Right. 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 Or, or, or you know, figure out what the damage is so that I can do damage control. Right. Um, presuming that she knows about the diary and, and you know, what she doesn't because she, she, there's, there's no diary. Yeah. Right. But <laughs> right, anyway, right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm going to have to pull more quotes because this whole conversation is such a masterclass. So Jessica accuses Victoria of not taking care of the others because she's not taking care of herself. And she and 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 Victoria thinks this was the first thing she'd said that really hurt, that felt like it wasn't possible to fit into the mold of a normal conversation with Jessica Yonda. That's such a perfect way to describe it. I love it. Yeah. And and I think it's great because it 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 emphasizes what you, the reader, have already been feeling this whole time, where you're like, this doesn't feel right. But this comment is just wrong. Like it's just like oh, exactly exactly what Victoria says, right? Like it's just a perfect one line explanation of of the feeling that you're having yeah, right now. Yeah, and and the thing, like I love I love because Wildbo is doing this to a fan favorite character, right? And Wildbo knows he's doing this to a fan favorite character. He knows people really like Jessica Yamada, and so he's kind of raking her through the mud right now. <laughs> and it's it's really great. I mean, like just from a, a narrative perspective, like it's really fascinating to see this roll out and and the funny thing about this particular attack of jessica's i think it's a sentiment that you and i have like offered up in discussions on the show before right like this idea that this idea that hey victoria you really need to be taking care of yourself like focus mm-hmm. you need to focus on yourself more like you need yes taking care of those people is great but you need to focus on self-care the, the problem right. here is there's a difference between like waxing philosophically about self-care to uh throwing it into someone's face right after they subscribe uh, survived a terrible incident and like here's the thing breakthrough is better <laughs> like they're not perfect they're still going through shit but we just had this moment at the end of last arc where where ashley took stock of the entire team and said look I'm doing a lot better. Kenzie's still got a long way to go, but she's doing better. Tristan and Capricorn seem to be doing okay. Sveta, yeah, she's uh, got, there's some stuff to work through there. But like these people have made progress. And, and so like, again, Jessica's form of attack here doesn't hold a lot of water to us that know what's going on. Right. 
and yet that the, the really beautiful like like narrative and plot wise aspect is that once we know where where Jessica's coming from, which we don't right now, it makes perfect sense that she would have this right. reaction. Because every bit of that progress is just seen in, through the lens of manipulation, right? It's not real yeah. progress. It's just sneaky, terrible manipulation. Yeah. But as you said, in this moment, we're just like, come on, come on, right. Jessica, like give her some credit. Like she's, she's trying really hard and, and yeah, she's having a rough time, but she's accomplished a lot actually. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're still Being alive. Unfair. Jesus, they're still alive. Yeah. That's something. Right. You, you, rain was going to be murdered by his cluster. You've got them all in jail yeah. now, you know? <laughs> yeah. Speaking of questionable things, Jessica's saying though, there's this one moment that I found really interesting and I wanted to talk to you about, um, mm-hmm. They're talking about Chris and, and Victoria is basically saying, you put me like you put me close to Chris without telling me who he was. And, and Jessica's response is he wasn't a threat, Victoria. He needed more sessions, but he was on the road to normalcy, striking his balance, learning the necessary skills. Is she is she right there? So, I mean, unless she knows something we don't, I'm going to say like empirically no, yeah. because Jessica didn't do anything to Chris, Victoria, to, to, Victoria. To, uh, yeah, sorry, Victoria didn't do anything to Chris to push him to make the decision. Uh, I mean, other than maybe like th- the fact that he got access to Amy was through Victoria in a sense, but yeah. like that's not Victoria's fault. He 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 got access to Amy. He got access to to Goddess. None of this was really Victoria's fault. I don't think. I mean, you could maybe draw an elaborate argument where it's like. The only reason Goddess went after a breakthrough was because she knew she could use them because Victoria went on TV. Yeah, whatever. Blah blah. blah. Yeah, yeah, no way. yeah. Yeah, I think I think that that Chris was he he was gonna grab some opportunity to to make a play to to make to do something big. Yeah. Right, that was his whole thing. Well, and it's it's a hundred percent revisionist history, right? Because the reason why Victoria joined this team in the first place is because Jessica was so scared of what might happen with Chris that she needed someone to look out for them, right? Like, mm-hmm. and now she, and now she's like, oh, actually, he was on the road to recovery. He was fine. He would have been fine. It was no big deal. He wasn't a threat. And it's like bullshit bullshit like by the end of this uh, end of this conversation she admits that chris was the reason like it it, it's, it, it just seems argumentative at this right, point it's, right it's literally her grasping for things to be angry about and then dismissing other because because she the, the 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 perception that jessica has right now is that victoria is this piece of shit manipulative awful person right so she doesn't really give a shit what this person has to say anymore this is not her patient anymore this is um, someone she was completely and totally wrong about in every single way. And and I think the fascinating thing about that is I think part of where maybe the anger and the recklessness and um, the, the nonsense comes from is I bet Jessica sees this as a failure on her part, right? Mm-hmm. A failure to detect it, but also a failure to help her. Like she, Victoria was this person in a terrible place and maybe Jessica thought I helped this girl. Like I'm overwhelmed. There's so many people, everything's so terrible, but I helped this girl. I helped her and she's doing better. And then to learn that it was all deceit, it was all a lie, it was all manipulation. She's terrible. Like that's that's not only anger at Victoria, but that's anger at herself and guilt and and failure and that kind of thing. So again, that's the thing I love about this is on the second read, like you understand Jessica a lot more. You understand her emotions. It doesn't make them okay, but you get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, we kind of skipped over it, but like, 
toward the beginning of the discussion, Victoria kind of kind of bites back, saying, um, "Like, no, no the, the best you can ever get with the agents is a compromise." Right. And and we and in in context of the diary, that's that's just you just know Jessica's thinking like, "Oh, of course she would say that." Right. You know, it it plays it plays everything Victoria says plays perfectly into this evil miscast image of her. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why I think that this diary is made by some kind of terrible thinker, and this is a terrible mind whammy. But that's for that's for later. Uh-huh. But anyway, um, so maybe I'm like too tuned into this protagonist, or or maybe I just think I am. Um, but I love that like Victoria will like notice things, like at the same time you notice them and are thinking them. So like like you're thinking like, man, Jessica's really not good at lying, and then Victoria's like, she wasn't good at being evasive or thinking on the back foot, <laughs> right? Um. And uh, I don't know, it's just, I, I just, I love how this whole scene was written in that particular way where you're tracking along with Victoria's thoughts, like very organically. Yeah, I, I think, again, it was just like we talked about at the very beginning of the chapter. It was because we very much got into Victoria's point of view emotionally mm-hmm. as well. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, you're kind of tracking along right with that. And there's there's many sentences of that. I like she was trying to be stern, but she wasn't good at it. Like, it's so uh-huh. hilarious. Like Jessica, this like the, the world's greatest therapist, quote unquote, um, is terrible at all this stuff. She's <sighs> awful at it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it all, like as mad as I am at her right at this moment, especially for especially during the first read through. Um, it's almost a bit endearing how <laughs> how bad she is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How bad she is at being a, a mean mean mom. <laughs> so Victoria starts to get angry as Jessica continues to stonewall and to pull back um, and to confirm, in a sense, everything Victoria's feared. One thing I love about this, which you especially notice on the reread, is how Victoria's behavior would seem um, f- um, from Jessica at this moment. Like when she hits the table and then and then. And then Jessica calls her out on it and she says, I hit a table, no force field strength, or there wouldn't be a table anymore. It's like the least placating or apologetic <laughs> possible follow up to, right. to an outburst like right. that. Yeah. Like if you're if you're in a business meeting and somebody hits a table like that just changes the whole tone of the thing. Sure. Right? Like yeah. But Vic- Victoria has gotten very free with her <laughs> demonstrations of anger in the last many chapters. Yeah. Well, I mean, and uh, there's a very specific sentence here right that's don't bully me with your powers victoria Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and i mean that's that's a it's a loaded word and it's a word that we're gonna say again before the end of the night but yeah i mean i i i love i love it i love everything about it i love that like like victoria is genuinely like victoria gets mad and she gets a little snippy sometimes and it's not like she doesn't mean it in the bad way. She just kind of loses her temper a little bit, but it's so easy to see how that lost temper just like plugs into a completely different lens of view of who she is now based on this diary. And it's, it's so funny that like, it's just like we, we talk so much about in the early part of the story about perception and how perception changes everything about what you believe in a person. And this is literally what we're seeing right now. Right. And it just gets worse pretty rapidly from here because Despite Jessica explicitly telling her here that using powers would damage their relationship, Victoria proceeds to use her aura on on a low thrum setting. Um, and so, like in this moment, did did you take this as another outburst, like like an emotional reactive slap, like she's done before, or is this more of a calculated, like you're not getting out of this room until you give me something type move? Uh, is it fair if I say a little of both? I feel like 
I feel like on the on the intentional level, well, I feel like it was I feel like it was more automatic. But and, and the reason I say that, and this is after thinking about it for a while, is because she reacts so um, emotionally to the realization that Jessica thinks that Victoria is like cornering her in the room. Mm-hmm. Because she doesn't mean to be doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think she's driven to a point of outburst for sure. But I also think the fact that earlier in the conversation, she basically stated like Jessica's t- saying to her, don't use your powers, like don't do it again or I'll leave. Um, and her response is at this stage, doing nothing would permanently affect our relationship. She's saying, like, if you use your powers on me, that will permanently affect our relationship. Victoria says after that, at this stage, doing nothing would be what permanently affects our relationships. So while I do believe it was an outburst, um, I, I do think there was there was motivation behind it. Like, the, I think it was like, I have to use my aura here because I have to get I, I need I need you to I need you to tell me something you have. You have mm-hmm. to tell me something. And that's how she justifies it next chapter, right? She says, um, I used my aura on her. I felt bad about that, but uh, I'm glad because I wouldn't know about the diary if I, if she hadn't, if I hadn't. I think this is a really interesting example to talk about because the whole nature of the diary is how even a relatively benign thing can be twisted into a, a terrible, unforgivable manipulation. Sure. And you can see this action as as one or the other, or and there may have even even been components of both in there. Yeah, I like that. I, I, so. I sure bet the diary would would be like, and then I use my aura on her specifically to make her feel. Yeah, make her talk. Yeah, yeah. I, I knew she wouldn't be able to resist my questions. Yeah, yeah. So Jessica, basically, I mean, basically under the influence of like fear and the aura, she she breaks down enough to tell. Victoria, that there was a diary found on her computer, which we've mentioned like a hundred times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's the big reveal here. Now we finally understand. We found your diary, Victoria, and it doesn't look good. Uh-huh. And we're like, wait, diary? What? <laughs> right. Huh? Victoria has a yeah. diary? Yeah, and the text is quick to point out, like, yes, there is indeed no secret diary that Victoria has been keeping that you, the reader, are not aware right. of. I love that, that we, we don't <laughs> play with that very often. They're very much. It's like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I just love this whole exchange here. Um, just as another, as more of an example of all all of the writing kind of, uh, techniques that I've been pointing out. I told you what you wanted to know. Would you please step to the other end of the room that she told me because she still felt threatened. She was bartering. I stumbled back to the point of the room that was furthest from her. She was watching me studying every expression and movement. I saw worry crease her forehead, drawing her eyebrows together or doubt. So I just love every line of this yeah. because it's it's communicating so many things that it's not just saying outright. Like it it tells us Victoria is disturbed and hurt at the thought that Jessica only told her this stuff because she was scared and she thought that was the only way she'd be allowed to leave. Yeah, and then and then it tells us that Jessica sees that that Victoria is is absolutely is like hurt and confused by this. Which causes Jessica herself to, to, to have doubts. Maybe. <laughs> We're not sure. We're not sure if it's worry or if it's doubt because Victoria is not sure. Yeah. Um, but it's this great, like so much subtext in in like five lines, five short sentences. Yeah, I, I agree. And the thing that like th- there's so much uncertainty behind this whole thing, right? Like Jessica probably in this moment, maybe part of her believes that Victoria would actually hurt her. And we know that's not true. Victoria would not hurt her. 
not, I mean, maybe accidentally, but not like on purpose. She like would never set out to hurt someone like this. But Jessica believes that she would in this point. And and I love this, this, this doubt here, because like, you know, in the back of Jessica's mind, there's this little this little nagging thing that says this doesn't quite add up. I, I've mm-hmm. I've spent a lot of time with this girl. I know this girl and this doesn't quite add up. But mm-hmm. but it's so hard to reject evidence like it's so hard to the evidence is right there you've tried to clear it with other people you've checked with people you've checked timestamps like it doesn't it doesn't add up but i can't ignore it and it's like it's it's a mess it's a mess and i love it i love the doubt i love it if it's doubt i love it if it's worry like i don't like i just i love the complicated nature of this and i love it so much yeah yeah i mean and she even does say like Maybe something is messed up on my end. I'm willing to admit that it's a possibility, right. but it, at least she clearly is leaning toward the suspicion of it. The the fact that it all like everything adds up right. towards well, well, almost everything adds up except like this just doesn't just doesn't make sense. Yeah. I think I think on a gut level it doesn't make sense, but it's perfectly crafted on an intellectual level to make sense. Right. And there's also probably like a professional like desire to for it to be wrong. Mm-hmm. because then it it means that I'm not a terrible therapist and I didn't fuck up. But then she's probably aware of that desire. So she like kind of pushes away the doubt maybe as like this evidence of um, of of like, OK, so I have this doubt, but this doubt, the motivation behind this doubt is really just because I don't want to feel like a failure and therefore I'm not going to listen to it as much as I normally would. Like you, you can kind of see, I mean, there's nothing textual in there, but you can kind of see like a human being that thought process working through them. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Yeah. So there's one more thing that I wanted to focus on before we wrap up the chapter. Um, her last line to Victoria, Jessica's last line to Victoria is, um, yes, Sveta is a lingering concern of mine. So basically the setup of this thing is like, she admits, yes, Chris was my primary worry when I, when I added you to this group. Um, now you are, now it's you, Victoria. Mm -hmm. I was worried about Chris. Now I'm worried about you. And then, but then she caps it off with, but yes, Sveta is a lingering concern of mine. So once again, we have this, this beat of, so, Sveta's in some shit guys <laughs> like like it's yeah. like it's coming from all these different angles and I, it's a slow slow burn to what what is going to be was going to be a problem yeah I almost wish we got to see the scene where you know Jessica realizes that Sveta is in her presence completely unrestrained because uh, for me like just rem- remembering um Jessica's interlude where she's just absolutely scared shitless because Sveta is like trying to crush the armored suit that she's in yeah, and, and almost succeeding. And Jessica is like forcing herself to be calm, to calm down Sveta because otherwise she's going to die. And it's like now Sveta is just out of her suit hanging around. Jessica doesn't necessarily know that what, like why that might be okay now. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just thought that was a, a, a moment where it would have been a, a, I mean, I can still imagine it. I didn't need to see it. you know. Yeah. But no, I got you. Anyway, I got you. So Victoria takes a while to compose herself before heading out. And according to my read, once she does head that head out, she completely fails to play off how upset she is. Like, like everyone can tell, I think. Yeah. Um, but anyway, she arranges with Kenzie to have a, a conversation with the world's greatest detective. 
and the chapter ends with Tattletail would either would be either my biggest ally or a prime suspect. Yay! <laughs> Yay! It's a murder mystery. I mean, a diary mystery. Yeah, I, I love like the thing that I love about this development in the story that we're going back to the Tattletail well. Um, that of course we knew we had to go back to because their interactions are too good to not go there. But it's like this kind of natural build up from the last bit. Like Victoria and Tattletail have now successfully partnered before. Um, th- it was out of need, and here's another need, and so. I think we this is this is growth in our character. She feels like she needs someone's help with this. She knows that Lisa is probably one of the best people to help with this. And at this point, she's comfortable enough to feel like she can go to her and genuinely ask for help. And I love it. Like, I I love that we've built up to this through the whole last interaction was kind of leading to this moment where I can go to I I will call Tattletail my biggest ally possibly in this whole thing. Like that's a huge change. It's huge and it's so earned. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's it's great. So we move on into 13.2 and that's not right. 13.4, right? Yeah, I think (laughs) I didn't fix that. It's all your fault, Matt. (laughs) 13.4. So this chapter, you know, it's a normal, it's a normal ward chapter. Nothing weird about (laughs) it. it begins with Victoria, ruminating you know catching up on where she is mentally and you know if you're not on guard while reading for the first few paragraphs you're like that's a slightly that's a slightly wrong kind of tone to that i don't i don't know if i could put my finger on it (laughs) sounds like victoria but these thoughts don't really align with the victoria that i know and then at a certain point the text crosses this line where you're like Okay, I know Victoria doesn't believe that. She's she she believes the opposite of that. Or or like I know I know the reason she did that wasn't wasn't what she's saying here. She wasn't motivated by that. But like everything you're reading is so terrifyingly plausible. Yeah. And I mean, I know you read these back to back. I I I you know read them when they came out. So I, so like I had kind of I wasn't primed to be expecting it to be the diary. Um. So it just completely kind of worked on me. Yeah. That way. No, and I, I think it's kind of designed that way, right? Um, mm. and so this is what I want to spend a lot of time on. I like just, mm. just like at a high level, the, the writerly technique on display here, because you're right. We start, um, in diary res, um, and, yeah. and there's no real indication that that's the case. There's no, you know, structural changes. Like we're not italicized or there's not different formatting on the page. It's just looks like normal texts. And the decision to do this, like, the degree of difficulty in constructing your chapter this way is so, so enormous. And the margin of error is so, so tiny. Wildbo choosing to show the diary here is basically like an author saying, my character created the objectively greatest piece of art the world has ever seen. But then actually having the balls to show your audience that art, right? Mm-hmm. If it doesn't come off as believably true, the entire subplot falls apart. If we don't buy that the diary that we're reading is convincing enough to fool Jessica Yamada, a character that up until this point we've genuinely, generally respected. Um, This doesn't work. It just falls apart. It won't work. And, and Wildbo could have just had Victoria say, yeah, I read the diary and that's definitely not me, but it's close enough to me. So I get it. I get why Jessica might do that. And I mean, he literally does that. That is basically a line that Victoria says after reading the diary. But he doesn't just do that. He shows it to us. He lets us experience it as well. And he shows it to us in such a manner that the diary actually has to do two different things at the same 
time. It has to be written in such a way that it sounds close enough to Victoria that we can understand why Jessica bought it. But it also has to be written in such a way that it sounds different enough from Victoria that we, the audience, parse out that it's not her. Yeah, it's a degree of confidence in not only your skill as a writer and your understanding of your character, but also your audience's understanding of that same character, too. It is so hard. It is such a thin thing to it's such a thin margin of error Mm -hmm. and he nails it matt he Mm -hmm. nails it like this this works so well like everything about this lands in exactly the way it's supposed to land you completely see why jessica was fooled by this thing but you know this is not her the whole like you you know it there's no doubt this is not victoria victoria does not think like this the victoria we know does not think like this but it's also plausible that it's almost seductive to believe like i think there have been you know reddit threads where it's like maybe she did write the diary or maybe some alter ego wrote the diary and because all of the all of the the rationales are like yeah well maybe that maybe that thought did occur to her. Right. And and I think the fact is like, um, maybe it did actually, you know, like a lot of things occur to you when you, when you're going through your life, that's not, that's not what motivates you necessarily. Like, so yeah, it's, it's, um, on, on every level. I, I agree that this is, this is awesome. This is an awesome kind of thing to be talking about in, in this story, actually this theme of how, um, you 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 can no longer just judge people based on their actions you you like like the the intent absolutely matters yeah and and if you have this like seductively terrible um um portrayal of what their intent is then you're very tempted to just be like oh oh you're you are actually a piece of shit um right. even if you're the reader and you know better right right i mean i i think that's that's the line you have to walk with this whole thing and it's 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 the you're on the the head of a needle and you're it's god there's so like it's so it's so difficult to to like to walk this tightrope and i think the the, yeah. the book the book is doing it the book is succeeding in it and it didn't have to like that's the whole thing right like this is a choice this is a choice and it's enhancing the story in a way that you could have played it safe you could have played it safe you could have just done the one part you could have just had victoria you know, say like the the chapter opens and Victoria, like Victoria is perusing through her thing. She's reading through diary entries, each entry worse than the last. Um, and then she goes through her speech about how close it is. It's so, so close. And she understands why Jessica bought it. Like you could have just done that part of it, but that's not what this author does. And it, yeah. it, it improves the mystery. It improves the confusion. It improves everything every part of this works better because not only was he willing to show the diary but he nailed it yeah it it actually works as like this this dark victoria that that we're looking at here um is 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 characterization for the antagonists that we have not met yet yeah you know that whoever wrote this we, we we are getting characterization for them we don't know who they are yet but when we meet them we'll know they're the one who wrote this mm-hmm and and all of the conniving um two-facedness about this that applies to, to whoever that is that uh, we're going to meet. I like that. I like that a lot. It's 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 amazingly 
efficient writing. Yeah. I think one of the most horror awesome things about the diary <laughs> is that it wouldn't just torpedo Victoria's credibility with the team, although it would certainly do that, but it would also, I think, cause each of the individual members to doubt their own progress. Yeah. Just just like you said, why Jessica would be doubting their progress, they would be doubting their own progress. That I didn't mm-hmm. actually improve. I didn't actually make progress. This was all part of a complex, elaborate manipulation effort by a conniving jerk to get me into a place that I'm most useful to her. Um, yeah. And that completely like completely destroys every little bit of, of progress that these characters have made. Yeah. It's so evil. Ugh, I love it. Yeah. It's almost so, as if this whole thing has been specifically orchestrated to do just that, that that's what it's trying right. to do. Yeah. One might think. Yeah. So I think in the end, um, I'm not, so I ended up not being sure if if what we just read was like the actual text of the diary or if this was Victoria's kind of mental synopsis of this is what the diary basically said about me and, and how I think about people. Yeah, I I lean towards it. It was the actual text of the diary after sitting there and reading it a couple times and reading through it and watching the structural changes and the, the tenses of the verbs that were used. And it just it just feels like. It just feels like if she were summarizing the diary, it would have been written differently. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure on that either. I don't know. But but I'm leaning towards that, that we were seeing actual literal entries from the diary, which, by the way, is very interesting because the entries that she's reading is stuff that just happened, almost as if this diary entry was written um, literally as she's standing as sitting there or as she was traveling home to get to her computer or, or the second she walked in her door, the diary entry appeared on her computer or something like that. Right. Because it's about stuff that just happened to her. So yep. I, I, I think because, because of the, the paragraph format is very different. Wild Bill usually doesn't like using paragraphs that are too long. He likes to break his paragraphs up more and here the paragraphs are very long. The verb tenses are different. It's like I'd done this. Like it's kind of how, ha- the way you would tense verbs if you were writing an entry in a diary. I tend to think it, it, it is the diary itself, but I would be willing to hear, you know, arguments otherwise. I think I've gone back and forth on it, actually. I think maybe right now I'm leaning more toward it is the diary, but um, I don't think it matters a, hu- a huge no, amount. it's not that important, no. You're, you're, getting, you're getting the content either way. Right. You're getting the content of the diary right. either way, which is, the, which is the important thing. Yep. It doesn't matter if it's the exact words. Um, so one thing I do notice is that the diary reuses this phrase that she just used with Jessica. She says, minimize the damage and maximize the gains, which I guess like, like, yeah, you you mentioned this is stuff that just happened. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's really great. That's really, that's a really great pull. I didn't catch that, but it's like, it's almost as if the person fucking with Victoria heard her use that phrase and put it in the diary specifically because she just said it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or it yeah. could just be that it's a phrase Wildbo enjoys and therefore used it twice in rapid succession. But I liked the other reason better, so that's the one I'm going to go with. I, I mean, I, I feel like there's a good chance that it is because it's Victoria using it both times and in a context where it would be horrifically damaging to her, you know? Yeah, true. So, um, But yeah, like just to get into the contents, like Byron, it's good that Moonsong and him broke up because now all he has left is Cape Life and that makes Capricorn a more solid team member. Rain, he's a pushover. I can use his regret as a tool to push him around. Ashley's like a cat. I just have to keep her believing that violence is an option and give her a little bit of human connection. 
um, through through a cape context, of course, and I, I can string her along forever. <laughs> and and it's just it's all just like we talked about it a little bit already, but it's all just perfectly like. Yeah, it's also plausible and, and evil. Yeah, yeah, I know. I don't want to. It felt when I was reading it, it felt cradly to me, and mm-hmm. I only mean that. I don't mean that. I'm not. I'm not. You know, speculating that Cradle is somehow mysteriously involved in this diary. What I'm saying in that is that it reminded me of the transactional thought process of Cradle and his interlude, how everything was viewed as a, a, a how it would benefit him, a choice that would benefit him, um, how it would improve his relationship with the person, like very uh, emotionally dead, very transaction based, very uncaring, very cold. Um, that's what it reads like. And I, it's, I, I love it. <laughs> like I, I, it's so good. It's so good. I know I've said this a hundred times, but uh, yeah, I love this whole opening section so much. Yeah. Yeah. And then like we talked about, it goes on into, uh, I couldn't blame Jessica for doubting me reading this. I was starting to doubt my own reality because it was close. There were thoughts in there that mirrored thoughts I'd actually had and lines in there that paralleled things I'd said in reality, if they weren't those exact same things. Um, and like, it would be one thing if it were just if it if that were it like if Victoria read it and was like, oh man, this 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 is dangerous. But she actually continues to reel from it yeah. for the rest of the chapter emotionally and mentally. And and again, I think this is great psychology because you know sometimes we act in ways that are motivated by an urge to just be helpful and just be a good person. And and th- but very often when you're doing that, there's a voice in your head that points out like, hey, you know, being being helpful here. It's really going to score points with whoever you're helping. And, and it's hard to know as a person whether it was the scoring points or just that authentic altruistic urge to be helpful that actually got you there in the first place. And so it definitely is going to feel really shitty to have some thinker like nail you on every single example of this and insinuate, no, your motivations are are, are always the worst ones and, and never the ones where you just want to help people to see them thrive. Yeah. And it, like internally undermine all your personal relationships. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I, I, I love it. Like our motivations are complex and multi-layered. Like, did I did I bring home these flowers for my wife because I love her and I want her to feel good? Or did I bring home these flowers because I knew it would score wife points? And mm-hmm. like, if you're honest with yourself, it's probably a little of both, right? Like, I mean, honestly, like if you just sit back and be honest with yourself, the the second part of your, the equation, the second part of that, the, 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 the scoring part probably popped into your head, um, like, while you were buying the flowers, perhaps, even, (laughs) even if it wasn't your primary motivation, it still probably popped into your head at some point there. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and whoever is responsible for this, this diary focused on only that part that's the part they jumped in on and this is actually there was a a great conversation i didn't read it all because it went on for like an hour but there was a great (laughs) conversation in our discord this is the for those of you that aren't in the discord this is the kind of super nerdy conversations that go on here but there was a conversation basically around this idea of does the diary fabricate motivation or does it reframe actual motivation and Everyone involved in that conversation had really great points. Uh, I lean towards the latter in that, right? That it's just it's just taking things, it's just taking motivation that exists and reframing it in in the worst possible light, and a light that might actually line up with some of Victoria's, you know, unconscious thoughts. Sure. Yeah. I mean, 
it's I, again, this is a, f- a really fascinating topic to to be writing about in in a story in general, and especially in this story where we have all these themes of of like forgiveness and and regret where you always have to take into account the person's state of mind and why they're doing the things they're doing and this is a perfect example of like well does it change does it change everything victoria's been doing all the help she's given breakthrough if she were actually you know doing it for the wrong reasons kinda yeah yeah and that's i mean here's what i love about this at the end of the day we're going to solve this mystery, right? We're going to find out who the diary, who wrote the diary is one day. At the end of the day, we're going to find that out. But no matter who it is, Victoria is still forced into a mode where she's seeing a certain reflection of herself. And she's terrified that part of that reflection might be real. She's already this person that is struggling to find herself, to define herself. A person that both figuratively and literally does not feel human And now she's being confronted with a lens of herself that is damn close to who she is, but makes her seem awful. Mm -hmm. It makes her, um, pardon my French, a fucky kind of monster. Mm -hmm. And I think I think regardless of who 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 is at the end of this mystery, which I love, I love that we're doing a mystery. I love we're going to find out who this I love. It's going to be part of some cool plot. Love it it still is forcing our character to go through some really, really tough shit. And, mm-hmm. and it's the best kind of tough shit when you mirror it, just as you said, to everything that we've been talking about throughout the story up until this time. Yeah. Um, so speaking of just like the fact that she's struggling with all this, as she's reading this, she's actually in the room with the team. And there's this tone of, of like positivity and bustle with the team. They're making costume changes and and having you know lighthearted discussions and victoria just like can't engage with it she tries to say the types of things she would normally say but it feels hollow and forced mm-hmm. and it's like having it's like uh having her motives called into question by the diary has robbed her of, of all her conviction even in normal life she's like am i only you know subconsciously maybe am i only saying this because you know i i, I want to suck kinsey into my cape world or whatever yeah um, like everything from her coaching role is now feels manipulative to her. And, and I mean, basically I, I think this is, you know, fairly clear, but I think the diary has basically kind of mind whammied her. Like it, it was written with the purpose of, of undermining her. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a perfect way to describe it. And I completely agree. That's what we get throughout the section. Every thought, every action that she has from now on is going to be framed in the context of this lens she's seen herself through and whether or not that is an accurate lens. Um, And, and in this moment she says, she says this, which is a very brutal bit of honesty here to Jessica, every conversation and friendly debate I'd had with her over things like Cape names and what a healthy life for a parahuman looked like had to have taken on a darker tone after all of this. The diary struck close to the real, but with a consistent tone throughout that had to be an anathema to someone like Jessica, who wanted to heal, find a more human balance, and who had trusted me to help. So it's basically the book kind of declaring that the diary was almost specifically crafted to be a trigger to not only Victoria, but to Jessica Yamada herself, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it, the, it, the tone, the direction of the diary is let's fuck up Jessica and and therefore ripple effect through the entirety of breakthrough. Yeah, I think doesn't the tattletale almost almost insinuates that 
getting it to Jessica was like part of the plot. Right. Like, yeah. 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 Oh, and then there's sorry, there's one more moment here that I wanted to to point out here because you talked about how there's all this bustle going on and 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 everyone's happy around her and she's kind of distant and removed from it. And there's this move there's this moment here that I think like tries to um Victoria is Victoria like trying to feel like she's still a part of this group. Like Kenzie is kind of going through her phone and doing like this or that. And she says, then Kenzie tapped on her phone, this or this from a vaguely Vista ish costume with a skirt built into an into into it over textured leggings to a costume with more of a bodysuit look overalls over a skin tight top and then she thinks to herself ashley's gonna be ashley's gonna pick the first because it's got a skirt and then ashley says the first one so i mean that shows i think it's cool because it shows that victoria has a very good understanding of ashley and and we skipped over the fact that the diary hints at a non-platonic relationship between them um uh-huh. and that's Wonderful. But um, I think I think what this what more of this is doing is she's almost like she's saying that Ashley's going to pick the first almost like in her head to um, reassure herself that she has understanding of these people to like like I think she's feeling removed from this group now and she's feeling apart from them and she's feeling different and and wrong. And it seems like that's a that's a, a attempt at a connection that can't go as far as to actually connect. Right. Um, yeah. I. I know her, I understand her, but I can only say that in my head now. I can't actually connect with her uh, literally anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was it was an interesting experience reading this part because like my brain was inserting things that were not in the text at all. Like, like um, I, I felt like everyone in the scene noticed that Victoria is extremely upset and they're like going out of their way to kind of... Um, um, support her mm-hmm. in this moment like like I forget I forget whether it's Capricorn or or rain but like someone just kind of like jumps in to to kind of reaffirm whatever it is that she says at one point and like I almost imagine like the characters kind of like sharing glances between each other like what's what's up with Victoria mm-hmm. um and uh I don't know I, I I love I love the scene before the scene ends though Victoria has to shoot down hookup as a name for Darlene uh I love it. Fantastic. I love it so much. Yeah. I love yeah. all the names forever. So disappointed. So disappointed by not being able to be I hooked know. up. It's perfect. And then Victoria continues being extremely emo on the car ride to the undersiders. <laughs> um, actually, it's to the to the chicken tenders later. Yeah, it's chicken tenders. To see right. Tattletail. Yeah. Uh, so the text as we entered the yet unnamed junior team's headquarters a chair slowly swiveled 180 degrees chicken little sat in it stroking the pet in his lap that pet clucked right on cue welcome back oh my god (laughs) (laughs) how Uh, amazing was that that's like I, this is the greatest moment in the entire story. He's got his lair. Yeah. He's got his evil lair chair. He's even got like the cages lined around the sides of the room, kind of like uh-huh. Taylor did with her, uh, all her spiders. Yeah. It, oh my God. It's <laughs> the greatest thing I've ever seen. I love it. I love it so much. I love this whole section. <laughs> um, and, and I mean, the ba- like, I don't have, I'm not going to go into this in, in tremendous detail, but like we just, 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 the chicken tenders being delightful is, is just, uh, 
I mean, it's a major pick me up too because we've just been Victoria's just been getting punched in the face repeatedly for this whole arc so far. Yeah, so yeah. this is a little bit of relief from that. It is, and it, it is a pick me up. But what what also it is 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 this wonderful use of contrast to I think like drive home how bad off Victoria is right now because like yeah. we're we're cutting back and forth between these like delightful, happy like for lack of a better word, chirping children um, and. <laughs> And like then we cut back to Victoria, who's just like down and dire and serious and like she can't even really enjoy their silliness on some level. Like she tries to a little bit, but can't really. And that contrast, that difference between the two of them really just reinforces um, this 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 whole feeling that she has. It, It reinforces like how removed she is from the group now. It's almost like she feels like she doesn't belong on some level. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. There's there's the simultaneous like your your attention is almost flipping back and forth between the chicken tenders and Victoria as you're as you're thinking like yeah, it makes her feel even more from the outside looking in. Yeah, and then you're also kind of laughing about you know the chicken. Right, right. Um, so yeah, we're totally spoiled for like awesome character interactions in this chapter because now after all of that, we get this awesome Tats and Terry's showdown. Yeah. Tatteris, ant tail, ant tail. There you go. Okay. So Tattletail starts out being a huge pain in the ass. Uh, I'm not even sure how much of it is like playing negotiating hardball, and how much of it is her like actually not wanting anything to do with Victoria. Because um, she she also says some downright shitty things about Kenzie, which don't seem necessary. Yeah, those are really harsh. Really, really harsh. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's interesting how this conversation starts. Because the first word that Victoria says to Tattletail in this conversation is help. And she says, it's a non sequitur. She wouldn't know what I meant. I need help. Um, she probably would know what you meant a little bit because she's Tattletail. But like this, this is the, the opening salvo of this, this conversation is Victoria laid bare, desperate, asking for help. Just saying, help, help me, help. And yeah, Lisa's a dick. Um <laughs> And Victoria's yeah. desperate. She's giving her whatever she wants, anything. And and Lisa's still being her very typical self. Um, and I like this moment where, like, she's like, I, I can't use your help. You guys draw a very, spe- very strong line in the sand. And Victoria's like, well, it's not it's not that strong lately, um, which I think is like both true, but like only something Victoria would probably admit admit in her desperation. Like, I don't think yeah. she would probably just admit that normally, um, but she's like desperate right now. And I think as much as things are not cool between her and Tattletail, she has like a lot of the lines that used to be between them have been eroded. Sure. Um, and, and maybe she's admitting that a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Let's talk yeah. about those Kenzie digs a little bit, though. Um, yeah. Because wh- this isn't the first time that Tattletail has taken the opportunity to talk about how terrified she is of Kenzie. Yeah. I'm not even sure if I get it. Like, like, like what it, does she know something we don't know? Is this just that thing where her power kind of puts the worst possible spin on everything that we've kind of pointed out recently? Um, yeah, I, I, I don't I, I don't know why exactly Telltale is reacting this way. I think it's that. I mean, I think we, we've seen like how 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 crazy protective she is of Chicken Little. Like mm-hmm. she like is so like will go out of her way to make sure he's OK no matter what. And she's probably getting these reads from Kenzie, um, who is a, a troubled person who is going through a lot of shit. Um, and yeah, her power 
along with her like her motive her motivation to protect her ward um yeah. is is kind of colored by this this read she's getting from kenzie to a point where like she's interpreting the worst possible version of of who she is yes that's what i think it is yeah you know there's also this just popped into my head but there's a sense in which kenzie is like a natural competitor tattletale and maybe on, on the powers level even that her power is like this this surveillance tinker is stepping on my toes yeah. i have to be the smartest person in the room i like that because it plays into lisa's general insecurity about having to be the one who knows the things yeah 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 i think it's both of those things cool yeah so victoria now physically intrudes on tattletale space <laughs> and pushes her chair back um yeah she is becoming a little bit of a bully lately i mean i don't disapprove <laughs> yeah but it is the second time in as many chapters that we've used that word bully bully is a very heavy dense rich filled with meaning word in the parahumans universe like we know this uh -huh. that was one of the huge things about the entire last book jessica told her not to bully her and then tattletale here literally says she is bullying her so i mean this is this is charged wording here yeah and i mean again like she's been shoving physically shoving rain around for like an entire arc <laughs> and and now and now she's you know I, I, like i feel like we're going somewhere with this yeah right like i don't i don't feel like it's just like yeah i mean uh, victoria hits people now yeah like it's I, it's it's she didn't used to do this you know i don't i don't i don't feel like touching people even was a thing that she was doing very much toward the start of the story yeah i think you're right um it's kind of so, a little bit of the glory girl peeking peeking through that black mask yeah it does remind me a lot of glory girl yeah i mean maybe which is maybe telling us like that she she reverts to this when she's under stress she reverts to her old habits when she's under stress yeah which is a, a very human thing that people tend to do so yeah. i i like that so she finally uh gets tattletale to give her five minutes of her time um it's interesting because I'm not exactly sure what Victoria said to convince her to give it a look. Like, was it reminding her that she was injured, um, that, that, that Victoria was injured saving Tattletail from the egg? Was it something else she said? I'm not sure if we're meant to know. Yeah, I mean, I think I think yes to all that. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. if Victoria was willing to get a little Tattletail-y there in the conversation. She was willing to poke at lisa's wounds just like lisa was poking at her wounds and cash and chips and 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 turn in favors i think that i think it's probably a combination of that intriguing lisa and also her seeing like oh she thinks i owe her a favor and she's cashing in right now well all i have to do is read a, a thing on a computer for five minutes cool yeah that's fine yeah it's an easy way to get out of something without actually owing someone that much um, mm -hmm. so I, I do see lisa working that way yeah yeah so there's a bit here that I want to focus on a lot with you because it kind of goes back to our element of um, minds being altered, right? Mm -hmm. It was interesting that Tattletail had apologized by the roundabout way, but that she'd prodded at my wounds like she had in this past conversation. Was there something else in play? A degree of insecurity? Or, with my discussion regarding Colt so fresh in my mind, I might even consider an element of it to be the wiring of her particular brain. She didn't apologize or hold back from poking at weak points because she couldn't. In which case, this was wholly, entirely fair to do on my part. She told me. So, <laughs> I like this because it, this this general exploration of um, 
how our personalities are impacted and changed by the things that happened. I think we know because we know Lisa better than uh, than Victoria does that there is insecurity attached to this, right? That there is a certain level of insecurity, you know, tied to her trigger that that makes her want to to poke at these things and and stir up this stuff. Mm-hmm. The thing that I find the most interesting <laughs> about this whole thing is Victoria's conclusion about all this. Mm-hmm. Um, she can't hold back from poking at weak points because if it's true that her brain is wired this way and she can't hold back from it, in which case it's entirely fair to me to do it back to her, which mm-hmm. is, I mean, that's interesting, right? That's an interesting conclusion to make on this whole thing. It's like saying if someone has brain damage that they have to do something a certain way, I'm allowed to do that back to them. If someone has Tourette's, right, I'm allowed right. to re- to respond to them right. by saying, yeah. Exactly. It's like, huh, huh. She told me yeah. it was okay, so it's fine that I do it. And I, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like trying to rag on Victoria too hard. I think this is just, this is in line with like the level of desperation she's in, right? Like yeah. she still feels the need to, to have a reason for why this behavior is okay in this case. And she's much more willing to stretch that reason because she's desperate. Yeah, I, I think I maybe even chuck a little, a little bit at that. It was entirely fair to do on my right, part. Entirely fair. Um, yes. Yeah. She pokes at my wounds. I will poke yeah. back. Yeah. Because she has brain damage. <laughs> right. Yeah, like <laughs> exactly, exactly. So Tattletale deduces after reading the diary that Victoria didn't write it, that it was crafted, and it's going to be used against her and breakthrough. And she also surmises that whoever is behind this probably did something similar to other teams. And she wants to spearhead an effort to figure it out and to stop them. And then the chapter ends with her saying, come on. She got to her feet and stretched. We, us, investigate. I love that. I love the we, us. It's like a perfect way to like make it, make this bond clear. Victoria becomes the Watson to Tattletales Holmes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited about this, Matt. I like there's so much potential to be mined from all of this, like the the detective story itself, um, just the partnership between these two people that like rub each other the wrong way. Like (laughs) like I just I really want to see how Wildbo writes just like a good old fashioned mystery, like detective mystery. Well, a good old fashioned buddy cop mystery. Right. Right. Exactly. And I know like this is eventually probably going to escalate and lead to some like big high stakes plot. But I also think it's kind of like the perfect cleanser for a couple arcs of like very intense action, right? Like where this is like just this is this is the the we're just we've there there are high stakes here. I'm not trying to dismiss the stakes of this uh-huh. situation, but it is a very different kind. It's almost as if you wrote a whole discussion question about nonviolent tension, <laughs> knowing that all this was going to happen or something. That may have been a factor. <laughs> Although if it was, it was I, I forgot that, that was why I thought of that question. Ah. But it, it was totally why I thought of that question. Yeah. So I am so excited to see what happens next. Yeah, me too. So let's move on into the uh, community spotlight because this is uh, th- there's a lot of discussions some really great answers to that question of yeah. discuss your favorite uh, example of a type of nonviolent uh, tension in Wildo stories. So first from the roundest frog they say all this story she's had um she i guess being uh, uh victoria she's had more and more issues added onto her plate that simply aren't resolved amy carol sveta and weld rain in his cluster the team as a whole her mounting injuries the wretch her murder and probably even more that i've forgotten 
on top of all that, Victoria hasn't really had an arc yet. It looks like uh, that may change with this current one, but thus far in the story, has largely largely revolved around others. It's only a matter of time until some of her many issues come to a head, and every chapter that doesn't happen makes the inevitable conflict all the worse. We're already starting to see cracks in Victoria from it all. She's killed someone. She used her power on Jessica. She used flat-out physical intimidation on Tattletail, uh, and so on. Victoria has a lot of weight on her shoulders, and it's not the kind the wretch can help with. It's only a matter of time until she properly breaks. Yeah, so basically their answer to the question was what what nonviolent tension, and they just said Victoria. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I think is all actually the, a pretty good answer. Yeah, all of the all of the tension being placed upon Victoria is generating a kind of background tension to the story. Sure. I like that. Yeah, I like that a lot too. Um next up we have both animal eyeball fetish. That's a heck of a name. And uh <laughs> Pita Enigma, who both uh picked the the dinner at Kenzie's, the the table the dinner Victoria's dinner with Kenzie's parents. Uh, Animal Eyeball Fetish says, there's lots of small red flags about the situation placed well before we even got there. So by the time we do, even the most normal, ordinary things feel like something sinister is lurking and there will be something horrible just in the next sentence. Then the pasta disappear. Disaster happens. And it's just this slow, elongated moment of dread and tension where every word feels more surreal than the one than the last. I loved it. Peta Enigma adds, uh, it was set up from the first time we met Julian and it grew more and more with each bit of information we had. There's some violence in the dinner and more in Kenzie's past, but the tension itself is nonviolent. So good answer. Yeah. Yeah. I agree that the audiobook I think recently, um, um, well not, not recently, but I don't know. I recently listened to the audiobook chapter of that and it was just fucking perfect. <laughs> Um, Martian Maneater says the answer that I'm impelled to give is the scene from chapter three dot invisible in worm where imp is struggling with the fact that her power kicks in whenever she loses focus, exacerbating her problem of being ignored and not helping to fix it. Not even present in the text by dint of inner thoughts or observations for the first 20 plus lines of exchange dialogue. We feel her pain, distress and frustration. We feel the tension creep up as we share in Aisha's helplessness and inability to affect the choices or actions of the people around her. Her mother's complete and continued disregard for both Aisha and the unborn baby makes you want to scream. And after we learn Imp's perspective, whenever you see the same patterns being repeated elsewhere, you just want to close your eyes so you don't have to see the slights that you know are hurting a character for whom empathy comes so easily. It's beautiful. Yeah, I like yeah, that a lot. So, so like basically it's a form of tension through empathy with with a character. Yeah. You're you're feeling pain on behalf of this character. That's great. Yeah. No Goodbye says, would the period of time where we only knew bits of info about the members of the then unnamed breakthrough count? Yes, it would. Uh, especially when they allude to Kenzie's past and seeing her personality contrasted by the air around her buildup by the nuggets of info we get and the way some characters act or feel towards her, in particular Houndstooth. And then, of course, the dinner scene happened. So, yeah, uh, I think before we started the show, we were talking to some people about uh, how paranoid you and I were about every single member of Breakthrough in those introductory chapters where we were just like, who's this guy? What? what? Yeah. And there's a lot of there's a lot of inherent tension about uh, discovering who these people are and if they have ulterior motives than the ones we know about, especially when Wildbo specifically went out of his way to introduce the element of one of these people is super dangerous, but I'm not telling yeah. you which one. Yeah, pretty much each of them got their turn right. being the, the suspect. Right. Farm Fresh Hornets goes very high level with their answer. They say the tension between doing things the right way and doing them the easy or expedient way, as well as the question of which option is which. 
In Worm, Taylor faces this choice almost constantly. In fights, and in a broader strategic sense, she goes for the jugular every time, even when it goes well beyond what is necessary. The reason this tension can be explored in such a fascinating way with Taylor is that she convinces herself the two paths are one and the same. Going undercover and befriending the undersiders is what she wants, but she's going to be able, uh, but she's able to argue that it's the right thing and she's obligated to do it. Staying with the group after Leviathan and all the fallout at the hospital, um, which came after what was originally set as the endpoint of her undercover op, is what she wants, and she's able to argue that it's the right thing and she needs to save Dinah. Even when she's Weaver and has a far more direct incentive to do the socially acceptable thing, she still takes shortcuts and skirts the rules, using her overall goal of saving the world to identify the easy thing as the right thing. When she's Kepri, she's pure expedience, all action. Maybe the heroes could have figured out the bullying solution given enough time, and nobody would have been body jacked and mentally strained to the point that they had an aneurysm. But we'll never know because acting was easier for Taylor than trusting in people to work together. Love that. If I say I like that answer, are people going to get mad at me <laughs> for being unfair I'm, I'm, to Taylor? Because I, it's, it's, I really like that answer. It's deliciously unfair to Taylor. <laughs> you get the we've got worm stamp of approval on this post. <laughs> oh, no. What have you done? <laughs> uh, next up, we have tanky forecast who says right now i think the best example is the sveta weld train wreck about to unfold ever since sveta's reintroduction we've seen her express her insecurities her lack of self-worth and something very close to codependency in regards to weld weld meanwhile has shown through many of his actions that he does not feel the same way even reading back many of the interactions on screen indicate that his feelings towards sveta are nowhere near the same as hers and it's going to escalate even further now especially with sveta's suit destroyed every chapter without it discuss discussed reinforces that tension and it's going to be devastating when it occurs yeah i mean like we've talked very many times about how sveta is our only remaining breakthrough member without an interlude and i think i think it's absolutely right that we were sitting there waiting for this pot to boil over and every chapter that uh, it doesn't, we assume more and more energy is being built up and the bigger, the, the boom. Right. Yeah. It's true that I'm, I'm only getting more worried as we, as we pass more chapters with no sweat. Yeah. Killer Kino um, says it might not count due to the implied violence and the very real violence at the end, but Taylor being interrogated by Alexandria is probably my favorite nonviolent tension example. Taylor starts the situation as level as possible, turning herself in, getting a lawyer, at least outwardly appearing to be ready to work within the legal system. As soon as we know Alexandria is there, the tension knob gets stuck at 11, having been revealed to the public as a parahuman and to us as a bully pretender. Ha. Uh, <laughs> we, we know Taylor has something in her toolbox for this, but she thought she wouldn't need it anymore after dealing with Emma. Taylor is now locked in a box by a bully who, who is also taunting by implying that she is physically and socially isolated, perfectly recreating her trigger, uh, which is a point that I never noticed before. She's locked in a box. Yeah, that's really good. Knowing what we do, uh, knowing what we do both about both of these characters lets us know how it ends as soon as it starts. Alexandria has been spiraling for a long time. She clearly read the recent history section of Skidder's Parahumans wiki page and stopped there, not even consulting literally any person with personal experience dealing with Skidder who could have told her the Skidder commandments. Don't put her in a corner and don't underestimate her. <laughs> I love that. Taylor, on the other hand, has done the right thing and complied with everything asked of her, even though she got sick of the right thing. Uh, obstacles years ago she's riding an emotional high with willing to pay any price to change the way things are 
and more sure of herself than ever. Alexandria doesn't seem to understand the phrase sudden and extreme violence, and even with all these defenses built up, manages to insert the keys, flip the cover, and enter the nuclear codes. <laughs> That's really good. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like that. Like, there is definitely violence at the end of that uh, that thing, and there's a lot of tension, a threat of violence, but there's just just a basic level of tension of what's going to happen. What's yeah. What's going to happen? Could go anyway. Yeah. Could go really pretty much anyway that's this is the uncertainty yeah. the uncertainty is what brings attention mm-hmm. next up we have fusion gun who says the dallin family barbecue at the end of ward arc one once we find out victoria is the protagonist there's the inevitable little thought back of the mind in the back of the mind about amy it's one of the benefits of writing a sequel having those tidbits of conflict and relationship drama that stick from the first story even more for secondary characters like victoria even throughout the community center fight, her thoughts turn to Amy, first by accident in Murray of Dean, and then when Snag's emotion power hits her. We get little bits of info that her force field might not be functioned the same way, but it's never made explicit. Breadcrumb after breadcrumb that maybe Victoria wasn't put back together in the same way she used to be. Then, after she has a shit day, loses the fight, sees Fumehood get shot, and loses her job, all she wants is a little comfort of home and family. But almost immediately, something seems off. Fucking Supermom Carol flinches a bit when Victoria admits that it's been a bad day and tries to cover with small talk about desserts and forgotten uncles. Then Kristen sees Crystal sees her and freezes, and so did my heart. Because of course Amy is in the house, because things can never be easy when you're a wild bow protagonist. So yeah, I mean, that's, that is a really great moment of nonviolent tension, right? Because the, the, the second she walks into the uh, barbecue, something's wrong. Like we, we know that the, the, the text is very clear with that something's wrong and it keeps kind of turning that screw and, and ramping up that tension slowly until that moment when Crystal's there. And then you're like, oh, oh, fuck. Yeah. And it's great because Victoria's had just this absolute shit day and she's just looking forward to relaxing with her family. Yeah. And it's like, no, opposite of that now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's fantastically horrible. VTech325 says the conversation between Jessica and Victoria in Black 13.3. <laughs> what a what a interesting thought. Yeah, surprising. Um, it's almost as if the question was written for that Matt. Uh-huh, maybe. So while Jessica might think violence is on the table, we're so thoroughly in Victoria's head uh, where a physical a physical confrontation is the furthest thing from her mind. She's just so confused and grasping for some way to understand and salvage the situation. And with each passing exchange, you can see her stress noticeably increasing. Yep. Yep. Really good answer. That's great. The, yep. Probably the best answer since that's the one Matt wanted it to be, clearly. <laughs> yeah, that was the correct answer. Yeah. So. Kausubalu V2 says Taylor versus Dragon and Defiant. While some of the buildup in this confrontation is arguably violent, the scene in the cafeteria certainly isn't. D&D have Taylor cornered. They revealed her identity to the public and are trying to talk her down to come with them peacefully. Taylor sees the trap for what it was, but not one to be out escalated, walks right out the damn door without anyone getting hurt. It's a moment of triumph and catharsis for the reader. But underneath the success is also a moment where the stakes for everyone change. The heroes have stopped even trying to play by the rules. The people have given up on the idea of lawful safety, and Taylor herself is personally in one of the worst places she's been up until that point. Sure, she gets away, but the outcome promises a whole lot of things to come that seem unavoidable and tragic and, well, tense. Cool. I like it. I still yeah. I still remember that scene. It is so triumphant, right? But there is such yeah. a level of tension. Like it's, the tension is like I, it's like it's not like violence based tension, but it's just like you don't know what's going to happen. Like you just don't know what she's going to do. Yeah, you don't know how she's going to get out of this. And it, it's bittersweet, too, because even though she gets out of it. 
she she's not like happy you know we we we're pumping our fist on her behalf but yeah. her identity is blown now yeah her, her dad's found out about it um um yeah it's uh it's a great scene. It's funny how often the scene comes up as an answer, like almost whatever the whatever the question is. If the question <laughs> is like, "What is your blank 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 parahuman scene?" It'll be the the, the cafeteria, cafeteria scene. scene. Yeah, because yeah. it's great, Matt. It is. Sarah Penguin says, um, "I'm going under. I'm going with undercover Taylor because the reason for the tension carries over time. Sorry, it changes over time. When she first joined, the tension is all about being caught and not getting the information and looking stupid to the heroes." But as the story goes on, we we see them all becoming friends and how much that friendship means. Then the tension becomes, uh, is she going to lose her only friends if they find out about her betrayal? Then there's the added tension of not fully knowing how Tattletale's power works. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I that that was almost like what got me into the story, right? This this idea where you're like, oh, oh my God, I care so much about um, she's going to get caught. She's going to yeah. get in trouble with the, with, with the heroes because she wants to be a hero. Oh no. Now these are her actual friends. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah. Good answer, Sarah Penguin. Good answer, everyone. A lot of really great answers on that one. Yep. All right. The discussion question for this week is who wrote the diary and why? So let's clarify this a bit. Or yeah. Let's clarify what I think. You guys feel free to do what you want with this question. And hopefully, fingers crossed, the answer will not be solved <laughs> by before next episode. But I think I think what I'm trying to mean here is not like what is the evidence you have supporting why they wrote the diary? Because I think there's like a thousand threads about that already. What I'm hoping you guys will do is find the motivation. What's the plan? And and, and maybe speak, you know, specific to the narrative of the story. Like what is what is what is um, the plan going to be with what are they doing here or or maybe talk about it a little thematically. Like if you think, if you honestly think that the wretch is responsible for the diary, what is that saying about the book? What is that saying about Victoria's arc? What is that saying about the themes we've been talking about throughout this entire story? So that's kind of what we were going for with the question. Obviously it's up to you guys, how you answer it. Uh, we're not grading these. So do, do whatever you want, but that's, I think where we wanted to go. Yep. So get to it folks. All right, uh, let's wrap up with some March Madness. The final. This is it. This is it. So let me read some comments before we announce the winner. Of course, our, our okay. matchup was between Skitter and Tattletail. And uh, I think some people are going to be a little surprised. Okay. So first off, we have Data Snake who says, let's be honest, Lisa would want Taylor to win. <laughs> Probably true. Um, TC... TVC Grid says, "Now that I know, now that I, now I know that in a head-to-head match, Bug Queen is so OP compared to Sass Queen. But I really want someone who is not a protagonist to win in the end. Also, Tattletail is my absolute favorite character of all time. So deliciously snarky. So, TVC Grid voted for Lisa there. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ponich Hobo says, for anyone who voted for Lisa, why? But Dash Dash Dashel Grid." Dash girl, whatever. Uh, sorry. Uh, vote. This is an easy pick. Skitter is my girl throughout, through and through. One of my favorite protagonists in fiction. Also, Lisa would totally lose to make Taylor win. <laughs> that seems to be a, a common thread. It's like Lisa wouldn't even want to win this anyway. Um, yeah. Well, Matt, are you ready? You I'm ready. you announce it. I'll do the drum roll. Oh, okay. The winner of the March's Madness Championship, the only survivor of the entire Perryman's universe, is Skitter. Taylor won, shockingly. 
Shocking. Uh, with 65% of the one, uh, vote, Taylor has eliminated Lisa and has won March's Madness. Uh, they go on to fight face March in the fight. Oh, turns out March is dead. So no. <laughs> congratulations, Skinner. You won you, everything. You, yep. You win the Perihumans universe. <laughs> Vista, who we had already marked as dying tragically several episodes ago, killed March. That was kind of weird yeah, how that happened. But anyway, really weird. Um, that, so you, you went out of your way to make a third place, um, match to determine. So Taylor, number one, Lisa, Tattletale, number two, you created a third place match. So why don't you introduce, uh, the third place match? Yeah. So this was our losers of the final four. So we had dragon going against imp and in, in the most poetic of justices is imp fought valiantly. <laughs> And uh, yep. with 61% of the vote, took the third place match. So Imp is our third place winner. A dragon slots into that fourth place spot. Uh, Imp should have been in the final, I think. So <laughs> I'm happy. And, and so we have the top the top three places held by the three female undersiders, excluding Rachel for some reason. Yeah, it's disgusting, everyone. Disgusting. And, Where's Rachel? And then... Somewhere way, way down there, we have the male undersiders, I guess. <laughs> One of the male undersiders was eliminated in the first round. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Brian. Yeah. All right, guys. So that's March's Madness. Um, we hope you enjoyed that. We had fun with it. We hope you guys had fun with it. It's. I hope no one took it too... It doesn't seem like anyone took it too seriously. We didn't get any angry emails or anything. Um, so that was fun. That was fun. Yeah. Well, thanks, Scott, for putting that together. Scott did like literally 99.7% of the work for March's <laughs> Madness. And, and I, it, it was just fantastic. Um, I, I, I enjoyed it and, um, it looks like everybody else did too. Yeah. So thanks Scott for that. You're welcome. So that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. You can reach us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or over at our Twitter account at gotwormpod. Um, one thing I'm thinking about doing, Matt, is something I'm, I'm tentatively calling Fan Art Friday, which is just mm -hmm. where I'm going to use our Twitter account to highlight uh, some fan art that's on the, the Reddit thread, just because I've been seeing a lot of... Um, really great fan art on the subreddit. And I know a lot mm -hmm. of our listeners don't check Reddit. They don't like Reddit very much. Um, so I thought this may be a good place to like put some great fan art in one place. Um, so I yeah. think I'm going to start doing that. Um, not this week, but next week. So this is one of those things where I ask you guys for help with that because I monitor the stuff, but I know some of you, uh, you know, there's strength in numbers. So, uh, if you guys see some fan art that you want featured on this, 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 uh, this Twitter thread that'll go out every Friday, um, you can email it to me. You can, uh, DM it to the, we've got ward account or the got warm pod account uh just send it to me send who the author is a link to their uh website if they have one um and if it's your work you can do that too i don't <laughs> i don't care um i think it's just something we want to highlight some of the incredible fan art that's happening in the community it's amazing um outside of just our contest yeah yeah that almost every week there's just mind-blowing things in there yeah, so yeah. yeah i look forward to that so yeah, if you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else that you can find podcasts. 
And as always, you can find this and all the other shows we do over at our website, doofmedia.com. Uh, you this week, there are two new episodes of Deep Impact. Our friends, uh, Ruben and Elliot, are deep diving into Pact because that's the yeah. title. Um, I'm, they, I'm really like, I don't know. I, I, the, I've just been enjoying that show more and more over time. Like it, it starts out strong and I'm just like absolutely hooked now. It's, it's great. More than our show, Matt? Um, Impossible. Um, well, there's there's there's. I mean, it's me though. So. <laughs> I don't. But. I don't listen to our show anymore, so I can't. <laughs> I can't actually comment on how good we are. I, I listened to our show at like three x speed just to make sure that I didn't say anything really stupid. Oh, I have, I have some bad news. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway. Anyway, if you like any of our shows and you want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash doofmedia. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in our quarterly fan art and costume contest, Q&A sessions, access to live streams of our recording sessions, and our excellent Discord chat. Special thanks to uh, a whole bunch of people this week. Uh, we have five new Bidoofs, Josh M, Matthew G., Fireaxe, <laughs> NMCS, and Dravino, all at the one dollar level. Thank you, y'all. That's great. Uh, we have a new Doof Troop member, Simon A, at the ten dollar level, and we have a new Supreme Leader Doof at the forty-five dollar level. Torch Salesman joins us. Wow! Welcome everyone to the Discord, to the community. Thank you so much. I don't know what it was um, about this week, but I'm I'm so flabbergasted thank you guys so yeah. much all of you um to have eight new people in one week seven i can't count seven new people in one week that's that's wonderful welcome to the community i'm so glad that you're you're here um and that you guys support us it means the world to us I mean, we really really appreciate it yeah yeah absolutely and i uh, hope to see y'all around the discord yeah uh, and of course, make sure you head over to Wildbo's pa Patreon, patreon.com slash Wildbo, and donate to him as well, because this is his world and we're just playing in it. And if you cannot afford to donate right now, that is absolutely okay. You can instead help us out by heading on over to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a rating and a review. This week's spotlight review comes from Mad for Heroes, all the way from the United Kingdom, who gives us five stars and says... What an asset this podcast is to Wildbo's writing community. This podcast has gotten me through hundreds of hours of working in the lab, commuting, cooking, and cleaning. I've actually become a lot more productive since finding it. When I tell people about Worm and Ward, one of the first things I mention is that there exists an amazing podcast that analyzes and discusses the work in a way that greatly enhances the reading. Matt and Scott are funny, insightful, and much more intelligent than I am when it comes to picking up all the small extra parts that would only usually be noticed on at least a second or third read. Whether you're listening after finishing Worm or listening while you read along to Ward, it allows the reader to expand their understanding of the books to a level that could not be achieved without it. If you have read or are reading either Worm or Ward, this is a must listen. I love this. Uh, Mad for Heroes. Thank you. I'm so like, I, I don't know what to say anymore. Like I just like yeah. between between the our, our new patrons and between these reviews, like I am just I'm out of like words, like I've run out of words and I just yeah. I well. We appreciate I mean, this is just everything. A, this is just such a like better thought out thank you uh, message than I've ever expressed to anyone in my life. Yeah. So um. <laughs> I'm super bad at thanking people. And so seeing people that like yeah. just like knock my socks off with with their kindness here, it's 
thank you guys so much. Thank you, Mad for Heroes, and thank you everyone that has taken the time to leave us a rating and a review. Uh, we really do appreciate that. And we appreciate all you guys still listening. It's, it's, it's been doing this for a while now, and there's all these people still listening. I, I know. We really do. We really do. Yeah. Well, that's all for this week's installment. Next week on the show, we will continue with Arc 13 Black uh, with the first of hopefully many editions of Lisa Wilburn and the Mystery of the Totally Bogus Diary, a new pulp detective novel conveniently set inside the novel ward. I can't wait. You know, Victoria really is like the perfect, like, Watson. Watson.